Welcome to Conversations with a Wounded Healer. I'm your host, Sarah Buino. I'm a psychotherapist, teacher, consultant, and most importantly, a wounded healer, living and working in Chicago, Illinois. On this show, I interview folks in a variety of healing professions, and we discuss the intersectional journey of healing self while caring for others. We're not just focused on individual healing, but also healing on the collective level from white supremacy, late-stage capitalism, and the patriarchy. Thanks for joining us. Hello, welcome to the show. Before I get into the things and the exciting announcement, I'm just going to tell you ways you can support the podcast. We really appreciate it. It's amazing. The love and support that I have received from listeners, from people who just appreciate what I do. I love it. And if you want to go an extra step above and beyond, I would love it even more. I mean, I'll love you just the same, but if you want to. So we've got some merch, OMG. The lovely people at Public are offering some merch for us at tinyurl.com slash C-W-H merch. That's tinyurl.com slash C-W-H-M-E-R-C-H. You can also rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, which is super helpful. Spotify also has a thing where you can rate and you can also ask a question. So I've been sort of playing with that feature. And if you ask a question, it's going to send me an email and then I will likely talk about it on the air, which is super exciting. And then finally, if you want to support us financially, you can support on patreon.com. And you can find us at patreon.com slash convos with a wounded healer. You can donate as little as a dollar a month. And if you are in the U.S., I will send you a little welcome gift to say thank you for donating because it warms my heart. So on to the announcement. So I've been hinting at some things. If you were on my Instagram yesterday, maybe you saw some things and it's time. The podcast is about five years old now, and I've been doing the same thing over and over, and it's been going really well. There's nothing wrong with it. And yet, sometimes a girl wants to shake things up, right? I realize that in order to keep things fresh and exciting, they have to be exciting for me, you know? And if I start getting bored, I don't want you to start getting bored, and then you won't want to listen anymore. And it's like, why am I even doing this? So, y'all, I'm bringing on a co-host. Yes, that's right. I said it. A co-host. And you have met her before. And judging by the downloads, it seems like you liked her just as much as you like everybody else. Her name is Anne Remy. And today is her first interview. And she's interviewing me. So let me tell you why I chose Anne. And, you know, we're going to be talking about this in coming episodes, sort of you know, I think we talk about it in in this episode together, but Anne just has a quality that I knew was going to be just as infectious as mine. It's hard, truthfully, it's hard to talk about this without feeling like I'm just tooting my own horn. So you know what? I'm tooting. I'm tooting away because I'm I'm pretty good at this. I mean, if you listen, you probably think so. It's something that I'm like, hey, I am a very good podcast host. And so in thinking about who can I get that's going to be able to to match my enthusiasm, match my, you know, sort of joining skills with new people that we interview and just hold a heartful space in the same way that I like to hold it. It's Anne. 
I didn't even think twice before asking her. I just knew she was going to be great. And it was only a couple days ago that I listened to her first interview with someone other than me. And it is fantastic. You're going to hear her interview next week for the first time, just her and a guest. You guys, I'm just, I'm really excited. 2023 for me is the year of collaboration. I've got so much cool stuff that's happening in the realm of partnerships and collaboration. For any astrologers out there, you're like, what's going on in her seventh house? And like, I don't remember, but it's all good. Clearly, (laughs) maybe Jupiter's passing through there. I don't know. But I am so excited for this collaboration. So Anne is a newer therapist and she lives in the UK right now. She's from Ohio, just like me. And she's been in the UK for a while. You'll, you, you heard all about her on her episode. So if you didn't listen to that, go back to that. But I think what's going to be really interesting is Anne is probably going to interview a lot of folks in the UK. So those of us who are situated firmly in the US are going to learn a lot about the different nuances of being a therapist in a different culture, right? And if you're somebody who's not in the US or the UK, we want to hear about your cultural experiences as a therapist too. So make sure you like reach out and connect with us because that would be super fun. But I think Anne offers a really interesting lens. A, being a new therapist, I had a supervisor once say that he loved working with interns because they would ask questions that as seasoned therapists, we forget that they're even questions. And that's one of the things that I love working with students. And it also it forces me to sort of break down the stuff that I'm doing in order to teach it. And that's what I want to do to support Anne. Like she is a fully functioning, amazing therapist in her own right and newer in the field. And so I want to lift her up and help her create whatever incredibleness that is going to come her way, because I don't know what her chart looks like either, but Jupiter has blessed something with her. So you're going to hear Anne. So I, I, I know that change is hard. If this happened to me as a listener, I'd be like, what? Who is this person? I'm not interested in this. I only want to listen to the regular host. That's why I come here. But I I don't know, you guys. I promise. I I would be hard-pressed to imagine a person who's not going to fall in love with Anne very, very quickly. So if you don't love her, I'm sorry. But I just don't see it happening. I think think we're going to be okay with this change. I think we're going to be more than okay. Who knows? You know, she and I started talking and we were like, what are all these things that we could do? Like, I don't even know. I have always run my career in a like I'm looking I'm looking towards the future. I'm looking at what's been happening. I sort of look at trends, what I see going on. And then I just have faith, right? I do what feels good in a measured way, right? Not reckless, but in a measured way. And somehow it's worked out. So I'm going to trust that this decision is no different. So please enjoy Anne interviewing me, who needs no introduction. I mean, I guess you already know who I am. So uh, yeah, here we go off to the races with a co-host. Thank you for moving and changing and growing and expanding with us. And I can't wait to see where this journey takes us. Therapists who are new grads, I have an offer for you. 
Being a therapist is not for the faint of heart, especially in our current global circumstances. And in order to develop into a grounded and seasoned clinician, early career therapists need support to learn how to care for themselves while working with clients. I've created a group offering for new therapists who want to build a solid foundation for their career. This process slash support group will explore the themes of professional identity, the hazards of psychotherapy, burnout, compassion fatigue, and wellness, all within the context of liberation and social justice. We'll meet twice a month for six months on Zoom. You can also get CEUs generously sponsored by Chicago Compass Counseling. The group will start as soon as we generate enough participants. Therapists who have less than two years postgraduate experience are welcome, whether you're a social worker, counselor, psychologist, or marriage and family therapist. For details and to begin registration, visit tinyurl.com slash new therapist group. Sarah, welcome to Conversations with a Wounded Healer. Oh my God, it's so exciting to be here on this side. How does it feel? It's interesting. I don't even know. I, I've i kind of had a whirlwind week and just like stopped watching TV. And now I'm like, oh yeah, podcast, let's go, let's go. But I don't have to be in charge today. <laughs> you don't have to steer the ship. No, and I actually really like that. So I guess I'm going to jump right in with a question actually, because I've, okay. I've been wondering what it's like for you after five years of the podcast to be kind of passing it over. And that's sort of the perfect segue, not passing it over, sharing it. But it's sort of the perfect segue, I think. You just had a week. You just got to kind of stop watching TV, show up. Uh, <laughs> and and what's it like for you to to be sharing some of that and, and to let go? What's the word that you might use? Yeah, I like share. I like collaborate. Mm. Those are the things I think. So, I mean, I've said before, this is this is my year of collaboration and also, I think, shifting. And there's been a long process of letting go of head heart therapy, the practice that I started. And, you know, as we're recording this now, we, we still haven't completely finalized the financial transaction oh, and both God. rail and I are like, <laughs> oh, my God, come on. Nobody knows this is going to be a shock to a lot of people about the podcast because I haven't told people that I'm going to be sharing it with you. But I've talked about head heart for a long time. And and so when when people have said like, oh, are you letting go of your baby? Blah, blah, blah. Like, what's that like? That's not how I think about it. And that's also not how I think about the podcast. Mm hmm. Yeah, I don't know, man. I just love conversation with cool people and you I trust to have conversations with cool people and you I trust to have conversations that are cool with me. And that's how I think about it. It's it, I don't know, I guess maybe maybe this is like I, I think I may be like polyamorous in all things. Like I really do believe that everything is abundant and I don't have to like hold on to it so tightly. I think that's it. Yeah. The metaphor of being polyamorous in everything. I really like that. But I myself have been thinking a lot about the things that I hold on really tight to. And why mm -hmm. am I holding on so tight to this? And I've had this sort of same trajectory this year of letting go, but also letting in. Yeah. And realizing how much I cannot do things alone. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. As much as I may want to, as much as that has served me in many ways, it's been a really great survival response, but it's not particularly helpful in a lot of things anymore, but it's a really hard one for me to let go of. And I think that something I was reflecting on the other day, specifically about joining you in this podcast, is I think as I've listened to your episodes, one of the words that always comes to my mind is generosity. Uh-huh. I think you're very, yeah, I think you're very generous with your guests, with your listeners. You give a lot of yourself and and that's so clear. And you're very generous in, in being vulnerable and sharing what's going on for you and, and where you are. And it's a bit intimidating to, to be oh, joining no. that. <laughs> uh, but, but also, you know, you've been very generous to me through my whole therapy training. You immediately said to me when I started, hey, if you ever want to talk shop, just message me. And so as the recipient of that generosity through my training and through being a listener of your podcast, I think I just want to show some appreciation for that and and really honor that because it. I think it's rare. You don't get that. Mm. Yeah. Mm. That's really sweet. And I am now on the verge of tears. Thank you. Um, <laughs> You're very welcome. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I'm sure I've told this story before, but since it's been, you know, 200 plus episodes, who knows if you've heard it, but I have a mentor named Bob Cardi. And right when I started my private practice, I think maybe was, I don't remember the trajectory of things, but at any rate, I, I wanted to continue to do groups because I didn't want to leave working in a treatment center because groups are my favorite modality. And so I wanted to continue to do that when I started private practice because I knew I would be like bored just being alone in my office all day. Mm. And I started doing them at Harborview Recovery Center, which was the detox where I interned. And there was a new person working there, Bob Cardi. And, you know, I'm I'm a child in private practice. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. You know, I've been in the field for, I think, was it six years, something like that. So, so still like relatively new. But Bob treated me like I had been doing this forever. And Bob literally had been doing it forever. He was in his, you know, 30 something year of being in the addiction field. And he treated me so generously. And I was like, that's that's what I want to do. And I've reflected that to Bob so many times. And he said the like mentor, mentee, supervisor, supervisee relationship is two ways. And he's like, I I try to offer that to as many people as I can, but not everybody receives it in the way that you did. And so, you know, he talked about this special sort of symbiotic relationship that happens. And, you know, he he would even tell me when he learned from me in certain areas and that just like boosts my confidence. And that like, I don't know, there's a depth to that sort of learning relationship that feels Mm -hmm. so good both ways. So I would create that with every single person if everybody would receive that. But like, just like Bob said to me, that there was something about the way I receive it. And I I think that about you too, right? I could, Mm. you know, I, I could offer, you know, sure, talk shop, but 
there's a reciprocity that not everybody on the supervisee or mentee space gets. And so to have the gratitude, to have the, I want to say reverence, but it's not like I want to be revered in a way, but like, yeah, I guess I it's, it. it's, it's faith in my experience and knowing my mm-hmm. experience has been different, right? And yeah. that I have had more only because I have been walking this path longer, not yeah. because I'm better. Yeah. Yeah, I think, but it is almost reverence. Mm-hmm. The reverence to someone's knowledge and to someone's skill. And I think Mm -hmm. that's also, you know, when I've listened to your episodes and you're interviewing guests, that's what you're giving to your guests as well. You have knowledge and expertise in something that I don't know as much about or I'm really interested in or or we both share the same Mm -hmm. vision, but obviously we'll have different experience with it. What can we extrapolate Mm -hmm. from each other? How can we grow together and how can we bring that out to a wider audience and to the world and you know, yeah. to burn it all yeah. down and rebuild it. Well, and I think too, because one of the things I have noticed with this, this is going to be old man yells at clouds for a second, but I think in a hopeful <laughs> way, <for> it. <laughs> um, you know, about the newer generation of therapists and, and there's so what we've been experiencing in the U.S. with quiet quitting and the labor movement and all this sort of stuff, I think in a black and white way has not necessarily served everyone because we need more workers rights period but the way that that seems to be showing up is a lack of reverence for people who have been doing this longer and it's interesting that like like when i when i introduce my students to people and i'm like okay so i never used to have to tell people how to email someone and how to defer to their schedule to show some humility and so part of it i think is like the labor movement where people are like i have rights and so i get to say when i'm free and yet at the same time there's a humility and knowing not when someone is more important than you but when you want to honor when you want to like if you want something from someone else you need to honor them Mm -hmm. you have to have reverence and just like you said like I guess when I'm interviewing guests, I, I I never really articulated it that way, but that that is what it is. Like I have the humility to know that if I want something from you, which I want you to be my guest, and that is doing me a mm-hmm. favor by helping me continue to have this podcast, I need to revere your expertise, your talents, your gifts, and all of that. And and when I humble myself in that way, <laughs> I can't stop thinking of Indiana Jones and the penitent man, right? Like when I humble myself, that's when the magic can happen between us because there's no power mm. struggle. There's no, I don't have to prove myself because that's not yeah. what I'm here for. And I think that seems to be missing because of younger people wanting to prove themselves in the field wanting to there's i think there's so much around like social media and having some sort of branding right like you have to bring your brand and i guess i bring it backwards right like i bring it just by i don't know being in relationship Mm, you bring your brand by being in relationship can you say more about that i really like that phrase yeah, I'm just making this up. I'm making this up right now as we go along. But 
But like, so I have a friend, Terry O'Connor, and she is a, a marketer. She's an outreach marketer for a treatment program. She's a fucking salesperson, right? But the way that Terry has always done sales is through relationship. I know that if I call Terry and I have a client who needs to get to treatment, Terry's not just going to send somebody to her treatment center because she needs to make the sale. She's going to send the person where the person needs to go. And I trust Terry with my life. I will trust Terry with anyone's life because she has made that very clear that relationships and matching and people centered is where it's at. And so that's always what I try to do, too, in my own way. Like it's about there's a secondary gain of my brand getting out there because people just like me and they like me because I'm interested in them. (laughs) I am interested in them and I want them to bring themselves forward instead of making it about me. Did you watch the, I don't remember what it's called, the Mr. Rogers documentary? Yes. And won't you be my neighbor, uh, right? Yes. And did we not all sob through that movie together? Oh my God. But the thing that really stood out for me in that documentary was he said, when I'm interacting with someone, there's no place in the world I would rather be. Yeah. All of my intention, all of my intention and attention, all of my focus is there. And I think he had said something about how, and that's why kids liked him because, you know. Yeah, because who listens to children? And I reflected, I think about that a lot, actually. And, And I think this is a space where you and I are very similar, where something I say to my clients all the time is if you saw me out in the world, like at the grocery store, walking around with my dogs, whatever, there are very few things you could see me doing or hear me say outside of the therapy room that you would not be like, yeah, that checks out. That's my therapist. Like, right. Right. Yes. I am me. Yes. In the therapy chair mm-hmm. on the floor where I'm sitting in the most sound appropriate room in my house mm-hmm. with my dogs, with my partner, with my family, mm-hmm. when I'm wandering around out in the world. And that authenticity I think is what draws people to us. Yes. What Mm -hmm. makes us, I'm I'm just going to say, good therapists. Yeah. Um, And what draws us to each other. Yes. Right. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I think we talked about this a little bit in your episode too, but I shared this with you. Like, I, I feel like you're the perfect choice for being the co-host with me because I feel like we are regarded in the same way. And it's interesting to think about how others think about us. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, because I I just always... Saying amused is going to make it sound silly. And that's not how I felt. But I was always amused to see because because you were like doing all your thing in circles that were sort of intersecting with mine, but never quite overlapping. And I was just always amused just watching you like, look at her go. Look at her go. All the shit she's up to, all the shit she's doing. It's just so cool. She's so fucking cool. And I think sometimes that's like I that I'll hear that feedback for myself like oh my god you're doing so many things and I'm like but you don't know how much I'm sitting on my couch watching Netflix like I'm glad you think it looks really cool. <laughs> yeah. Yes. This is can I tell you especially during my travel years when it was like 
Y'all, I was averaging one country per week for about three years in a row. That's madness. Which, okay, it's madness. And for, it sounds glamorous, sort of, until you realize all the logistics involved yeah. in that. People are like, wow, that's amazing. And I'm like, you don't know how many times I called my mom from an airport sobbing mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. being like mom i don't know what time it is and i don't know where i am and my next gate's a 20 minute walk away yeah. and and you know right. people don't know how much time i spend sitting on the couch right. watching tv and you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. how many grilled cheese sandwiches i eat per year mm. a lot that is my number yeah. one comfort food after my mom died that i had so much grilled cheese <laughs> <laughs> mm. Dude, there's no I had to explain to my British therapist because <laughs> they have I mean, they 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 have cheese toasties, cheese here, toasties, which, but it's different. Right? Um, it's well, it, uh, they're not as good. Uh, mm. Sorry. Sorry, British people. But uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it's just true. Right. Uh, but there's cheese on top. Which sounds good and it's fine, but I've never had a cheese toasty here that changed my life. Yeah. And now it's like a staple food in our house. And I had to explain to my British therapist why this is like such a thing. And for I had a complex about grilled cheese sandwiches for a while because I was like, I don't understand why I love them so much. And then I thought back, like I started thinking back. I'm like, all of my comfort foods throughout my life have been some combination of bread, cheese, and tomato. So, oh, precisely. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's an American thing or what. Or an Ohio thing. <laughs> it's it, probably a Midwest thing. <laughs> a lot of cheese sticks at Applebee's oh, going God. out to dinner. <laughs> my favorite potato skins, no one yeah. makes them anymore. You can't get a good oh. potato skin out in the world. I, Please, somebody bring back potato skins. They're so good and I need them in my life again. There's not like a, a BW3s that still does it? or I don't know. I, do we have those in Chicago anymore? No BW3s as far as I know. I'm sure I'm sure there's one around here. Like when is the last time in Chicago I searched for a chain? I don't yeah. know. No. <laughs> it's fair enough. Yeah. There's just too much good food. It's true. It's true. So I'm curious... After kind of all of these conversations you've had, if there are any moments that stand out to you or that have impacted you particularly, and if I'm going to throw another layer on that question, that have impacted your practice specifically? I think there have definitely been moments that impact me. I always explain this in terms of how I remember things is based on feelings. It's not based on, well, I want to say that it's rare, but I spout off enough facts that clearly I remember things in some way. But when there's something relational involved, clearly it's just like an emotional experience for me. Like when I watch a movie, I can't tell you what the movie was about or why I liked it other than how it made me feel. Mm. (laughs) And that's how I feel about a lot of the interviews too. Like I can remember people And I can tell you the specific people that really touched me, like Derek Dawson, who has passed away. I went to a training with him, my first like really intense anti-racism training, and it blew me away in general, just the material. But the way he was a master facilitator and I watched Mm. how he did what he did. And we had some really gnarly moments in there where he had to just be raw and real and it was 
I was like, yes, that, oh, he's so good. And so when I had him on the podcast, just to be able to get him one-on-one to really talk deeply, he was, oh, his soul was, I think, just too too big for this world to mm. to last much longer than I think he was probably in his late 40s or 50s. So he was somebody who really touched me. And I've changed so much in these five years. And part of it is because of the podcast. You know, I mean, obviously, I'm doing a fuck ton of healing work outside of the podcast, but each conversation has absolutely healed me in some ways there's always Mm. medicine in every episode for me and I think that that's why other people like it too right if it's medicinal for me in some way I'm just going to assume that that extrapolates to other people and so you know I can't really say like oh yeah this episode and what this person said made me change the way I blah, blah 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 but all of it has changed me and helped me continue to be me in the therapy space. Mm. The medicine in every episode, that really resonates with me. I think something that I've gained from listening to your podcast and from following you on Instagram, which again, I can't tell you as a little baby therapist, like even in my first years of therapy school, you saying things, but you posting things as well about like, it's normal when therapists cry or it's normal. We Mm -hmm. miss you when you're like, your, your posts have helped normalize things for me that Mm -hmm. maybe didn't get explicitly said in my training. Yeah. And then I've actually gone back to some of my friends and been like, oh, my friend in the state says this. And they're like, oh, thank (laughs) fuck. Like, it's honestly like, and, and, Because I think there's so much about the profession that is, it's very isolated. And I don't think a lot of people realize how isolating it can be. No, they don't. And so it's almost like getting a peek into the way someone else works, but also hearing that, okay, no one's ever sat and watched me therap, you know, for a full hour. that that is the verb here i therap therapize i don't like some people say that but i think therap just sounds funnier like (laughs) um wow so anyone listening to the episodes that i host can look forward to hearing that one more i love it but no one has sat and listened to me for a whole hour i've you know people listen to recordings of me and snippets Mm -hmm. and like i've written to death about my experience and you know i have regular Mm -hmm. supervision but For me, there's still a part of me that goes, what if I'm doing this very, very wrong and no one's caught it yet? And so hearing you normalize a lot of things has been so helpful to me on my journey. And I think that my hope for like my generation of therapists and for people who come after me is so much more transparency yeah, and so much more openness about our experience. And this is what your podcast is giving. It's like pulling back that curtain. That's my hope. There's also, we have to walk a delicate balance, right? Because I, I think about 
some people that I've supervised or have taught or even therapists that I had hired before. And if I say, go be your authentic self, they take up too much space (laughs) because the work hasn't been done to have that reverence, right? That humility to be able to not take up too much space and be yourself in the space. That's like the fine line because we can't just go around telling all of our clients all of our things. And, you know, we we have to be very mindful about how we show up. I think for me, too, there are definitely times where I have said something in a session and I'm like, oh, that was too much for that client. It might not have been too much for another client. It may have just been too much in that day, right? There's like, there's so much involved in like really being able to attune to the client to know that fine, like that fine level of internal shift, right? Maybe it's a, it's a nervous system thing, or I, I don't know exactly what it is, but I guess I'm realizing that being able to tune so finely to somebody else's experience is mm-hmm. unique. And I see that in a lot of therapists that I've supervised. Um, so I, I think I, maybe that's been like a challenge for me to recognize that it's unique because it's so innate for me and so innate for a lot of the therapists that I've worked with that I have emulated. So that's my caution, right? Like I love I love that I've given you permission and I want I want everyone to be mm-hmm. mindful and not just like Go be authentic, period. Right. Go go be authentic, dot, 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 and be attuned to what the client needs from you because they're paying you and you are providing a service to them. And is your authenticity in service of them? And I think, too, I think one of the things I want to see change in therapy is from the client being too reverent of us yeah. and putting us on yeah. pedestals. That's the other thing that I want for clients to have a recognition of my humanity, not to take care of me, but just to appreciate me as a human, as someone who also has a depth of emotions and pain and struggles, right? And that became really clear in the midst of the worst part of the pandemic when I'm going through the same shit you're Mm -hmm. going through. I'm just as isolated from my friends as you're isolated from yours. And I'm feeling, you know, the, the deprivation of not being able to do all the things that we used to do in our regular lives. And the clients who were able to just all they had to do was say, like, I bet this is hard for you, too. And I'd be like, yes, thank you for acknowledging that. Now we can go on. (laughs) You know, just that little bit of like, boop. thank you. Yeah, I think there's really something to... I'm 100% on board with this because I think the more we are like the whatever, you can't see me waving my hands above my head, but the the man behind the curtain, you know, um, right, right. So to speak, I actually think that's not in service of our clients and them seeing our humanity again with that caveat of like, Mm -hmm. they don't need to know what I had for breakfast. They don't need to know everything that's going on in my life. But when they see me fuck up and they see me apologize and they see me go, oops, sorry, you know, uh, or, you know, if I'm just losing my words someday and I go, you know what? Words aren't happening for me today. I'm sorry. Yeah. Like 
the things that happen to all of us. Correct. When yes. my clients mm-hmm. see that, yep. I think it it deepens the relationship. And it also, in the same way that you give permission to me as a therapist to feel my feelings and whatever, it, it's showing, it's a, you know, modeling. It's great modeling behavior, I think, to just be humans and to get things wrong and to apologize. Yeah. And I'm curious because I'm that therapist. When you're in that zone and when you feel attuned, does that have a special feeling for you? Could you describe what that feels like? Mm. Mm. Can I? <sighs> I don't think that I can. I think, now I'm going to get super woo-woo with it, Like I think that all of us are intuitive in many different ways, right? And like from a a classic psychic sense, they talk about the clairs, all the clairs, mm-hmm. like clairsentient, clairaudient, clairvoyant, right? All of these different things. And I've recognized that I'm clairsentient. It's just a knowing that comes inside me. And so what often happens for me is I will ask a client a question. And especially when it's around emotion, I am almost never wrong. (laughs) And I ask a question like, so, you know, can you tell me what you're experiencing right now? And in my head, the word Mm -hmm. for the emotion comes out and then the client says it like that's all I can tell you is like, that's what happens for me. And I've I've never been wrong in that like therapeutic space. And that's not to like, oh, my God, I'm so amazing. But it's that's the gift that I have and that it came from my childhood, of course, my and what's so what's so interesting is like I I came from an environment where my mother mostly is, is who I blame for all this truly. Um, but mm-hmm. you know, my my mom would say I'm fine or I'm happy, and I'm inside mm-hmm. of me. I'm like you are devastated, you are depressed, you are angry, right? And I knew that she was feeling these things, but she couldn't let herself know because that would have blown apart the psychic structure that she had created around who she was, and. In my real life, I've recognized that when I meet these people and I potentially become friends with these people or romantic relationships or whatever, like I cannot be in a relationship with that person if you disavow your own feelings, because I know (laughs) I just know you can't fool me even if you can fool yourself. And so that's that's sort of how I've tuned that gift. But I'm never if a client in session says a word that's different than I think. Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't say, no, you don't feel that. Actually, this is what you're feeling. Instead, what I would say is, oh, that's interesting. What was coming up for me was blah. And sometimes the client will be like, no, that's not it. And then they'll do a little dance around it. And then we'll come to it at some point. Oh, I am actually <laughs> angry. Maybe you're right. Yes, yes. That's usually what anger. happens. It's always anger. <laughs> right. It, often. Yes, yes. Or or I'll say, oh, I was actually like what was coming up for me was, was you know, this other feeling. And they'll be like, oh, yeah, actually, you're right. That is what I'm feeling. Yeah. <laughs> so that's usually how it happens. Yeah. Yeah. So... I just, I just know. So it's, it's not, I can't tell you how it feels. I just, it's the clear sentience, mm. you know? And that's, I think um, you posted something on Instagram that was like a therapist reminding me that the body holds all the trauma or yeah. something like that. And I was like, oh, I feel personally I attacked. That's right? me. I'm so body based mm-hmm. because of 
all of my other training with yoga and trauma sensitive yoga and breath work. And so for me, I'm always interested how, if at all, people relate feelings or sensations to their body. So that that specific, when I'm in like the zone with a client and I'm like perfectly attuned to them, it feels like sparkly in my chest. Mm. That's the only way for me to describe mm-hmm. it. But that's just a different language for exactly what you just said. Yeah, it's a, it's a knowing. You have a somatic knowing. Yeah, it's, and I think that one of the things that I appreciate about you and about your podcast and the way that that you've interviewed and the people you've interviewed is that you've really interviewed people from lots of different disciplines and it's all different languages right. for very similar things. Right. And something that I've learned is even if it doesn't resonate with me, doesn't mean it's wrong. It means that's the language that's working for somebody else. Yes. And, and you have to honor that. There has to be reverence for that. Yes. Because you can't tell someone that the language that makes sense to them is wrong. Except CBT. But I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It just, the reason I get so angry about CBT is because in America, that is how everyone is trained on CBT. And I'm like, there are other ways. So that's the only reason we should on CBT. You know, you go for the big guy first. But yeah. Can I, but, but can I like throw another reason to shit on it? Just. (laughs) Because I have strong feelings about this as well. Please. Um, Almost every single client who has come to me, we talked about this a bit in my episode, the NHS and and bless social health care. Like every country should have it. I have lived in two different countries that have had social health care. It should be available to everyone. The way that the NHS is run here, the, the mental health services are not amazing. And that's not social health care's fault. I really want to discern that. Mm -hmm. They lack funding, they lack resources, uh, and they need to get things through quickly. And almost all of the clients who have come to me have been like, yeah, I got six weeks of CBT from the NHS for free. And that's the therapy I've had. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. oh, so you haven't really had therapy at all then. Great. Yeah. Six weeks. Like, that's bullshit. That's nothing. It's nothing. And a lot of the people who are providing that are trained in like less than three months. Right. Uh, I think I right. looked I looked up the process to train to do that specifically for the NHS. And I was mm-hmm. appalled. And mm-hmm. if anyone who is listening wants to tell me otherwise, I'm, I'm really happy to hear that I'm wrong on that. But mm-hmm. That's been my experience. And and so people have come to me saying like, yeah, I had six weeks of CBT and I think I'm worse. And I'm like, great, cool. Right. Because now you recognize all of your cognitive distortions and you can't really it doesn't change how you feel. So great. Cool. Or they feel like they failed because yeah. they have to take at the beginning of the six sessions, they have to take like a test to like yeah. score themselves on, you know, mm-hmm. and, and then halfway through and then at the end. And if they haven't risen their numbers enough, that like specific chunk of mental mm-hmm. health can lose its funding. So it is a numbers game. And so you're the therapists are like, are you feeling better? Yes. You're you're feeling better, right? Like, and I wow. had to go through that training and I was like, I can't do this. Like, I can't. Mm-mm. I'm not going to be able to do this. So I'm on the same CBT train as you. Mm-hmm. And if anybody wants to fight me on that, I'm, I'm quite happy to be proven yeah. wrong or 
just have that discussion. So <laughs> have you listened to my episode with Charles Small? I actually just started it um, the other day and I was walking to yoga class and I was like, I can't, I can't do this before I go do yoga because I'm going to get so <laughs> <laughs> And I had to turn it off. It, it was like right mm. from the start. I was like, oh, so uh, no, I have not. I have not That's finished so that episode funny. yet. That's really, really funny. Yeah, it's I just it helps. Char- I like I like Charles's approach is what I will say. But I think not everybody who practices CBT has Charles approach. And that's yeah, that's my beef. And that's fair. Yeah, I have the same beef in general with counselors and therapists who don't all practice as safely as I would like. But I also don't make the rules. And it's important for me to remember that. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's truly partly why this this podcast was started out of spite not everybody knows this, but but it is. It's a judgment of like, why aren't we all doing our work? Mm. Because I do truly believe to the depth of my soul that if you are not doing your work as a therapist, you're going to be hurting and, and harming and, you know, I guess best case scenario, not helping mm. your clients. And I get that therapists are human and I get that there's a therapist out there for everybody. But I, I don't know. What makes me so upset is that we don't have a culture where people can be brave enough to do their inner work, right? Mm-hmm. And I think yeah. it is capitalism, white supremacy, and and patriarchy. And that, you know, I, I've recognized how trite that probably sounds to people who haven't been doing that that internal mm-hmm. work as well, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I, I'm sure that someone listening will be like, ah, it's just another, like, feminist, anti-capitalist, but like, No, I'm like, I'm trying to learn. I'm trying to like live this because I recognize how harmful it's been for me, how harmful it's been for my clients. And I think super harmful for our industry, right? Like I just posted recently, you probably saw BetterHelp has to pay $7.8 million to its users for mining their data. You cannot profit off of health and wellness. You cannot do it. But the way our cultures are set up, you know, and I mean... I guess the UK were the like original colonizers and then we like took it up and like super powered it as Americans as we love to do. Yeah, you can't. And until literally we have to turn society upside down to recognize that health and wellness need to be first and foremost, like we're always going to have these problems with these brief treatment models, with therapists who don't feel safe enough yeah. to dig in and do their own work, right? Like it, it all comes back to our society just kind of being upside down. Yeah. I did my TCTSY trauma sensitive yoga training through the trauma center, which is uh, in Boston out of the Justice Resource Institute. Mm-hmm. And it's the first training that I've ever done where racism, white privilege, colonization, Mm. capitalism were treated as a fact and as a problem to be worked through and named and dealt with. And it was expected that everybody on the course was on board with that. And I was like, I'm getting chills just thinking about it because I have never experienced that in my life. I have never experienced Mm -hmm. this. You're expected to be on a certain level of uh, whatever we want to call it, wokeness, for lack Mm -hmm. of a better term, but we're not going to let you slide 
on this. Yeah. And yeah. from basically every other training that I've done, that's not a thing. And I, I kind of went back to my therapy school and was like, so here's an experience I just had. Why isn't this the frame? Right. Why aren't we starting from here's all the right. shit that's coming into the room with you, with your clients? I, I'm in the UK. Like all the money that built, just like the United States, all the money that built everything here comes from slavery, comes from colonization, and, and right. quite frankly, still does. So, right. And we we did get around to that conversation eventually, but you know, it's not it's not enough. And mm -hmm. like you, I've had to seek out my own anti-racist training and support. And a lot of the people I met on that journey, I'm going to interview and I'm really excited to have them on and to share them. Me too. But I completely agree with you that while capitalism exists and while everything is, is for profit and everything is a numbers game, it's really hard to on a industry level, be in service of our clients in the fullest way, I guess. I want to be a radical therapist. I mean, I, I, I think about how I can start to peel back those layers with clients too. Like mm -hmm. I have one client who is a business owner and she'll say things and, and every once in a while I'll be like, yeah, so this this is how it's capitalism mm -hmm. showing up and harming you as a business owner and a white person. Mm -hmm. And we have a relationship. We've been together for nine years now, I think. So like, you know, she knows me, she trusts me and we've had the reciprocal like, are you interested in this information? Right. I never I'm never going to just like blow through a new client and be like, so can I tell you everything about racism, patriarchy and capitalism that we talked about that I've learned? Yeah. It's something that I introduce with people like this is something that's really important to me. And are you open to when I can show you what I have learned? And so and so she's one of those people, especially as a business owner, really wanting to know that. And that's another way that I feel like I guess the it's probably a, a symbiotic like my own healing. The podcast is a representation of my healing. Mm. And so it really is. It's it's kind of like an autobiography, really, of what I've gone through over the last five years. And so as I've started learning things in my life outside the podcast, I bring that into the podcast and I bring it into the therapy. It's all I guess it's all part of this like woven tapestry that's been created that mm -hmm. and it's funny too like when people ask me like well what are you going to do now i don't know i didn't know what this mm. podcast was going to be i didn't know what head heart therapy was going to be so i don't know mm -hmm. what head heart business therapy is going to be i don't know where i'm going to be in five years mm -hmm. but i know that i'm going to continue to do a deep dive into the work and i know i'm on my path because there are things that are laid out for me that are obvious and easy and when i say easy it's not like everything comes to me and i don't i just manifest everything i can manifest like a motherfucker because i know i'm i'm on my path for healing in this lifetime and you know i i can't say you know for someone who has had a lifetime of more struggles i can't tell you why that is <laughs> i don't know if that's your path i don't know if you're under i can't i can't tell you but I don't even remember how I started talking about this, but here we are. 
This and that's the other theme of the podcast is I don't know what we're talking about, but it ends up being pretty cool. <laughs> and that's but I think that in and of itself is like we don't do enough stuff just for the heck of it. Right. And and I think mm-hmm. when we have conversations, they have to have a specific outcome or an agenda or, a you know, and so just kind of letting things evolve, which you've done with this podcast and, and with your career. And it's taken you to like the next cool step. Like, oh, I'm going to do this now. Yeah. Not like it was so like flippant of a decision, but, you know, mm-hmm. here's what feels right for me now. And as you say, I think there's really something to this. I really believe, and I'm I'm not a particularly spiritual person, but I think... I don't and, believe that. So we're going to have to talk more about that. Okay. Because <laughs> uh, <laughs> that is, you, are, you, you vibrate on that level, but go on. Okay. So <laughs> I think, and I also recognize there's a lot of privilege in saying this, and I'm always willing to be challenged on this. But I think that when you are on the path you are supposed to be on, things will naturally kind of come your way. And again, not like someone's just going to drop a huge chunk of money in your lap so you can open your own company or whatever. But the opportunities will arise. Or maybe you're just more aware of the opportunities being there because you're on that path. There's something in this realm of like when you're on the right mm-hmm. path, the right door is open mm-hmm. if you're open to it. Mm-hmm. And I also think because from the outside, I'm sure plenty of people can look at what I've done, what I've created and think, wow, she's successful. But if you've listened to the mm-hmm. podcast for five years, you've heard me fail mm. spectacularly. And the way that I frame it, and this is where it gets hairy, right? And you talk about privilege. I can't tell you what your spiritual path is. I can't tell you what is right for you. I cannot do that. Like, it's one of the fights I'm having with my consultant around me being a consultant now. She's like, you have to you have to tell people what are your deliverable outcomes as a consultant. And I'm like, I cannot do that because it's up to you if you're going to yeah. do the shit. I will have opportunities mm-hmm. for you. But if I am attached to somebody's outcome... I can't. Mm -hmm. I can't do that. Right. I can only be attached to my own outcome. So the way that I think about my life, my opportunities, how I manifest the path that I am on, every choice that I make, whether it is capitalistically successful, right, whether it is observably successful or not, for me is success. Because when I think about the relationship that destroyed me that helped me recognize I was a sexual abuse survivor Mm -hmm. and heal from that right like one of the most painful experiences in my life but I needed Mm -hmm. it to be where I am now the business partnership where I had a friend completely betray Mm -hmm. me and I wanted to kill myself at that Mm -hmm. point because I thought like I have backed myself into a career move that everyone's going to think I'm a fucking fraud and a failure if I back out of this But I did it and I learned a lot about power and how to be more in right relationship with power and focused on the quote unquote like right things in business. Those quote unquote failures helped me be who I am, right? Like I have a client who one day said to me like, I am so glad that I am an addict because I never would have become the person that I am if I hadn't gone through recovery. Mm. 
Like that's how that's how I feel about this quote unquote right path. So I never want someone to listen to this and think that I have it easy. Yeah. Because it's hard and it's hard work. And yet the quote unquote right thing continues to show up for me because this is what I am supposed to do in my lifetime. But I cannot tell you what you are supposed to do in your lifetime. If I'm your therapist, maybe we can figure it out together. But I don't know. And I've figured it out, figured it out, quote unquote. I don't know. I think I've tuned into my vibe of what I'm supposed to do in this lifetime. And I want to help other therapists do that because the more therapists can do that, the more help we can provide to our clients. Do you think that a lot of therapists choose this path because it's what they're meant to do in their lifetimes? Or do you think it's, how do I ask this question? I guess percentage-wise, maybe, people you experience, how many people who end up in this profession end up here, do you think, as a result of, like, this is this is the right path for me in this lifetime versus... I don't know. This just seems like a good idea and I can probably make money doing this. So this is what I'm going to do. Does that make sense? It does. It does. And I think that there's the practical answer to the question and then there's the spiritual answer to the question, right? So the practical answer, I do presentations on this on this wounded healer concept and uh, there are a bunch of articles that have researched this. Why do we go into the profession and one of them talks about the unconscious motivations that lead us to choosing the profession and how often we have been either abused, neglected, we've been parentified, right? Like all, all of these things that make us natural caretakers, caregivers. And so from one of the articles, 53% of therapists said, absolutely, there are unconscious motivations. There are things in my childhood that led me into this profession, you know, and and is aligned with like, my survival strategies. And so now I will, I think the article says something like turn your preoccupations into occupations. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that hit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. It's so on the practical level, there's that. On the spiritual level, I can't say. Yeah. Right. Like, I mean, that Fair. would, that would yeah, be a yeah, whole yeah. other, because there's a difference between, for me, there's a different level of I am choosing to become a therapist because of my own childhood wounding and this is what I'm good at. And then there's a there's a different vibration of like this is what is going to heal my soul in this lifetime in order to help me in the next lifetime. <laughs> and I don't even think it's that linear. I d it's not it's not quite like that. I'm 100 percent with you. And it's interesting as I kind of think about, uh, you know, I've I've reflected a million times on how I ended up here and I always knew I would end up here because it just I just kind of always knew one day I'd end up being a therapist, mm. even when I was a kid. Um, mm. And part of that is my <laughs> my childhood of parenting everyone around me and taking care of everyone around me and being hyper mm -hmm. vigilant and being mm -hmm. very in tune with other people's emotional states. Part of it, my mom has her master's in psychology. So I'm like fulfilling the becoming my mother circle of life, which, you know, I embrace and I'm on board with. My mom's pretty good. So, you know, I could become someone worse for sure. Um, if I'm going to turn into someone, Anita's a pretty good person to turn into. And 
when I switched my major for the 20th time to end up in psychology for my undergrad, even when I finished that, I was like, I'm going to end up being a therapist, but like now is not the time. Mm -hmm. I'll come back to that later. I need to like go live Mm -hmm. my life. And when Mm -hmm. I moved to the UK and I wasn't traveling so much, I was like, okay, I'm going to go be a therapist now. Now is the time. Right. And yeah. So it just always seemed like this is this is where I would end up. And that's super cool. Mm. That is really cool. I had no idea. I mean, I knew I knew in undergrad that I would like to be a therapist, but in Ohio, the choice was psychologist and I didn't want to get I didn't want to get a doctorate. So when I you know, came to Illinois and my therapist was like, you know, it's only a two year degree and you don't even have to take the GRE. I was like, bye, literally like signed up for the prerequisite, like pre-calc class or whatever that was that I had to take for statistics. And yeah, I was terrified. Like, I remember like, holy shit, I just got accepted to school. What does this even mean? I don't even know what a clinical social worker is. Like, I didn't know anything that's another reason that I believe that like I'm on my path because so many things it turns out, yes, I am most aligned with social work over counseling and, you know, these other things, even though social work has a very problematic history and that's something that we need to dismantle and yada, yada. But like the whole person and environment and just the way that we sort of view both macro and micro systems makes a lot of sense to me. I just randomly chose that because I found a school that would let me in in January because I didn't want to have to wait till the next fall. Like, Mm. that's why I made that choice. But it ended up being the right one anyway. And now I teach at that university, you know, so So it's just right. Like, it's just it's bananas how it all works out. Well, and I think it has to be mentioned that mental health departments and universities are where art majors go to die. Um (laughs) I'm not wrong. <laughs> I'm not wrong. Oh, man. Uh, oh, man. The whole psychology department at my university were people who had switched from art majors uh, of mm. one form or another. Most of the people in my therapy program in the UK, people who mm. are, have been artists in one way or another. All of my teachers, I used to be an actor. I used to do, I still am a musician. And I'm like, of co- yeah, mm-hmm. okay, this all checks out. Of course you are. Yeah. Um. So we're approaching the end of the hour, and I know you've asked this question to everyone, and since your podcast is themed around it, you've answered it many times, but I'm going to ask you how the term wounded healer is landing with you today. Yeah, that's the right question. I think, I do think the answer is pretty consistent for me that it it is how I've always identified that way because, and and again, like talk about the blessings from the wounds, right? Like one one of the one of the binds that I've always dealt with in my life is my mom would always tell me like, "Don't be like your father," right? And and now I recognize my father is more of like a sadistic kind of psychopath rather than a narcissist. But growing up, we framed him as a narcissist. Mm. And so that meant like, you're full of yourself, right? You think you're Mm -hmm. so important. And so I've always walked this line of speaking my truth while not thinking myself too important. 
And that's how I think about the wounded healer too, right? Like my wounds Mm -hmm. are there. Mm -hmm. They are there in the room for every therapist. They're there in the room, whether you want them to be or not. I choose to make it more conscious for myself and sometimes for my clients in service of their healing, which then also as a side product helps heal me too. I love that. Great. I love that you love it. Well, thank you for joining me on your own podcast. Oh, thank you for having me on my own podcast. It's lovely. Thank you for sharing your podcast with me. I'm very excited for wherever this goes. Right. Yeah, exactly. To share it with your audience. So thank you. And I'm sure we'll be hearing from you soon on your own podcast. (laughs) I'm sure we will. Yes, thank you. (laughs) I'm Sarah Buino. And I'm Ann Remy. Thanks to our guests for an amazing conversation today. To find out more about today's guest, you can visit www.headheartbiztherapy.com slash podcast. You can find Sarah at at Head Heart Biz Therapy on Facebook and Instagram. And you can find Anne at at Spare Room Wellness or spareroomwellness.com. Thanks as always to Andrea Clunder and the Creative Imposter Studios for editing, to Liam O'Donnell for the album art, and to Ben Mueller for our theme music. Until next time, bye-bye.